How's everybody doing? All right. For those of you guys that don't know, I think everybody here does, community is just a place where Christians, non-Christians, people from all over the city, uh, different churches, different places can come together and just uh, worship God, grow closer together in friendship, and just practice living out what we're called, community. So that's why we're here. So go ahead, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, um, last week we had J.J. Billet from Reno here, uh, which I thought was fantastic, talking to us about God's love. So we got to take a little break here. Um, now, we're skipping a couple chapters, as you might notice here. Last week, or the week before last, I talked about um, sex, marriage, um, how it applies. And as I, as I started to look forward here, I, don't, I want to make something very clear. I'm not skipping these next two chapters um, because I don't think that they can be applied, um, because I don't think that they're relevant. That's totally bogus. They, every word in the book is relevant. The reason I'm skipping them is because uh, due to our extremely low age group here, um, how to deal with widows in the church and things like that is really um, not quite applicable to us just yet. So I'm going to jump forward a little bit more, but first we're going to do a recap. Is that cool with you guys? Okay. So what's 1 Corinthians? Talk loud for me if you don't mind. What, what's the book of 1 Corinthians? Who wrote it? Who do you write it to? Corinthians, good. So Paul wrote Corinthians to the Corinthians. Why did he write it? It's important to know, you know, what we're talking about before we dive in. What's that? Yeah, why, yeah, it's a letter. Why did he write the letter to the people of Corinth? What, what was going on? What? Yeah, sin in the church, right? Who planted the church in Corinth? Paul did. Okay, so Paul planted the church in Corinth. Everything's going great. He builds up godly leaders to run the church. He leaves, goes to plant another church in Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, Paul gets a letter. And it's basically talking about sin that's going in the church, right? And he, in all these kind of sins. What kind of stuff was going on, for example, in the church of Corinth that Paul had to address? Sexual immorality was huge. What else? People coming to church and getting drunk. Yeah, what else do we got? Yeah, that's sexual immorality. We got, we got sex. We got division in the church. We got lawsuits. Remember we talked about lawsuits? Uh, we got drunkenness, pride. They screwed up entirely marriage. Everything about marriage they totally jacked up. And they even jacked up singleness, um, which is kind of hard to do. Right? I mean, if you understand a biblical view of marriage, it's hard to mess up singleness because that would kind of be your goal, essentially, if you were uh, called to marriage. Um, so that's kind of what's going on. Paul's writing them a letter. It's a dialogue. They're writing letters back to Paul. Paul's writing letters back to them. Uh, what we're going to talk about today in chapter 8, um, this whole next series is kind of, it's called the gospel mission. And basically, here, here's the point. It's how to live out the gospel in a culture that doesn't believe it. Would you say that's our culture? <laughs> Do you think our culture believes the gospel? No. Okay, so before we talk about how to live out the gospel, we got to know what the gospel is. The gospel is the story of our redemption, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. That's the gospel. The gospel is this. We were created in the likeness and image of God. And because we were created in the likeness and image of God, we're loved by God. 
We have worth to God. We're valued by God. We're not just things to God. We're dear to Him. But because of sin, uh, we've been separated from God. When Adam and Eve in the garden chose to sin, the consequences of that sin have been inherently passed down to every single person in humanity that's been born. We're born sinners with a sinful nature, and we need a Redeemer. Um, But the good news is because we are loved by God, because we're worth something to God and valued by Him, He promised and ultimately sent a Redeemer to pay the price for our sin, right? And who was that Redeemer? Yeah, don't be scared to say Jesus. We can can say Jesus here. (laughs) Jesus is that Redeemer. Um, He suffered a horrible, terrible death on the cross, paying the price for our sin. Uh, Because of what Jesus did, uh, we no longer have to be separated from God. Uh, We no longer have to to, to lose our communion with God, to lose our fellowship. Because Jesus died on the cross for you, you can now connect with God. You can now trust in the promise that if you believe in Him, that when you die, you'll spend eternity with Him in heaven. Um, We are saved because God loves us and because we're valued um, by God. So here we go, Church of Corinth. Paul plants the Church of Corinth completely based on what I just talked about, the gospel. So here's a gospel Jesus-focused church in Corinth. They're doing well. Paul raises up godly leaders. He busts out to Ephesus, gets to Ephesus, starts planting a church, ends up getting a letter from what the Bible said, Chloe's people, um, that stuff was going basically to crap there. I mean, everything was just way off. So Paul's addressing that. So the issue, and we're going to, I have a lot that I wanted to say, so I'm going to be looking down at my notes here quite a bit because I want, I, want, I want to get this into our heads here. Um, the issue with the church of Corinth was what? What would you say that their main, the main cause of all their problems was? They've forgotten their what in who? Their identity in Jesus. They forgot who they were. They were letting themselves and everything about themselves be defined by themselves and by their own performance, by the things they screwed up on, by the things they did good. That was where they started getting their identity from. They totally left Christ out of it. Now, remember we talked about this. If anything in your life, anything at all, becomes more important than Jesus Christ, your life is going to be full of problems. Right? Remember we said this. If Jesus isn't first in your life, something will be. Right? If Jesus Christ isn't number one in your life, something is going to be. All right? So here we go. (laughs) Chapter 8. Now, it's kind of, this was kind of tough because what we're going to talk about is food that was offered to idols. Now, um, as Harvey said in the podcast, it's kind of hard at first to think about how I'm going to apply this to us because, as far as I know, no one in here is really struggling with like eating meat that was offered to false gods. You know, like, you know, like I know that like Alex here isn't like, man constantly I'm eating meat that was offered to idols. What do I do? You know, I, nobody in here is, is necessarily struggling with that. Um, but something important to remember, and th- this really hit me, to be honest with you guys, when I was studying this. This is what he said. Harvey said this. We should never approach the Bible with the mindset of thinking, what can I get out of the Bible? Right? It's not necessarily a what can I get out of the Bible. It's what is God going to say in the Bible? Because everything that God says is something we can get, right? 
So we need to look at this, sac- at this um, topic of sacrificing um, and eating meat that was sacrificed to idols and think, what's God trying to say to me? So let's go. Um, and we ta- remember, guys, we talked about the temples that were in Corinth. Tell me about the temples. What were the temples for? Yeah, worshiping different gods. What was, what was some of the ways that they worshiped different gods in the temples? Yeah, having sex with temple prostitutes. What else? What's that? Yeah, that, 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 it's basically everything bad you can think of was, is this form of worship. Like they, would, they could get totally drunk. They would, remember we talked about that scenario with their wives where they would tell their wives, you know, oh, you know, baby, thanks for cooking dinner for me. Uh, I'm going to head up to the, the, you know, the temple. I'm going to have sex with this prostitute. You know, because that's worship. And she was like, okay, I love you. You know, have a good time. Right? Because that was just, I mean, can you imagine that today? I can't imagine some husband going to tell his wife, baby, I'm going to go have some sex. And she's like, praise whatever that God is. Have a great time. Right? That, that went on there. Another thing that went on, okay, in, this, in this, uh, these temples was sacrifices. So the people of Corinth would come. They would bring uh, meat sacrifices, animals. Sometimes they would bring them from their house. Sometimes they would buy them. Um, they would take them into these priests, and the priests would slaughter it, uh, cook it, burn some of it for the god, uh, and then they would take some of it. They would sell it. Uh, a lot of, and where they would sell it to is the restaurants, you know, around the areas here. So basically, it was it wasn't just this form of worship; it was also a way of income for the temples. Um, not yeah, not only was it worship, but it was income for the priests for the prostitutes, and for just straight-up temple maintenance. That was what they did. Um, so basically what's going on here at this beginning part is um, the, the church people in Corinth, they're, they're worried about going to these restaurants um, because they knew, uh, you know, what the meat was used for and stuff. So they're, 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 they're kind of worried about it. They don't know if it's okay. Should they go eat this meat? Even though, they, even though they know the truth now, right? They know the gospel. Paul told them the gospel. They understand that there's one God. They understand that everything's about Him. They have gospel-focused eyes as far as that goes, you know. So they were basically, they started to kind of sin a little bit here in this thought. Did they have freedom to go there and eat that meat? Did, did you, would you say that they had freedom to go do that in Christ? To go to a restaurant and eat the meat? Right. So, but what they did was they started saying, because I can, I should. Okay, because, because it's okay for me to, it doesn't matter if I do it or not. So suddenly it became pride, and we're going to see how that was bad here. Let's open up to chapter 8 if you're not already there. Um, I'll have somebody read that in just a second. But they understood the truth. They didn't want to cause others to stumble. They didn't want somebody who was a weaker Christian to see them in there eating this meat. And in turn, that weaker Christian might say, Oh, you know, I know I'm a baby Christian, so it's okay if I go in here. And who knows, you know, they could get sucked in to what's going on here because it's not just a restaurant. You know, the people in that restaurant knew where the meat came from. There was a real tendency to cause weaker Christians to stumble. Um, So what did they do? The smart thing. And they asked Paul, Hey, Paul, what about meat that was sacrificed to false gods? Um, Verse 1. Who wants to read it nice and loud? Right. 
It says, I'm going to read it again just for sake of podcast. Now, concerning food offered to idols. So Paul is answering a question that they had wrote to him. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, right? All of us have knowledge. We all know things, okay? We know things about God. We, we have knowledge. Paul tells them this knowledge puffs up, swells up, makes pride. It causes somebody to, to raise themselves up. But then he says, comma, but love builds up. Um, so I want to talk about that for just a little bit here. They were making a statement. You know, they, they said, you know, we have knowledge of the true God. They're, I can just see this letter to Paul, what, the, what they could be saying to him. You know, we know about God. We know about the gospel. And we know that there's freedom in the gospel. We have a right and freedom in Christ to go to these restaurants and eat these food. We know that we're free in Christ to do that. Okay? And basically, they, they were basically saying they have the freedom to do whatever they want, really, without having to worry about what it might do or how it might affect other brethren, especially the younger Christians. Essentially, they were saying, because I can, I should. We're going to talk about that. Paul tells them right in that verse that this knowledge that they have, although that it's good knowledge, is becoming pride for them. Therefore, it's becoming something bad. Okay, and we're going to see this a little bit more. Here's another thing that was kind of cool that hit me as I studied this. Um, it is possible, hear this, it is possible to be correct in your theology. In other words, what you think about God, the, the, what you think about the Word, it's possible to be correct in that. It's possible to be right in your theology, but completely wrong in your application of it. Okay, so it's possible to be correct in your theology, but wrong in the application. The Corinthians thought that as long as they had the theology right, as long as they knew what was right, it didn't matter what they did. Okay? They took sinful pride in their correct knowledge of the truth of God. So they understood the truth of God, but they took it so far to a point that they actually made their knowledge sinful and prideful. And we're going to explain that a little bit more here. Um, if your knowledge of God, the things you know about God, if they stay in your brain, okay, if what you guys know about God stays in your brain and never, ever, ever enters your heart, you're, you're in an incredibly dangerous place, okay, because you will be held accountable for what you know. So if you can know and get a degree in theology of the divine, angelic hosts, whatever, master's degree, I don't care what you get, and completely be an atheist. That is 100% that is possible to do. So if the head knowledge, if the knowledge about God stays in your head and never enters your heart, you're on dangerous ground. Here would be an example. Somebody says, well, I don't believe you. You know, if you know things about God, that's, you know, that's always good. Well, check this out. Here's an example. Pharisees. Okay, did the Pharisees study scripture? All the time. Okay, the Pharisees studied Scripture. They had all the knowledge of Scripture that you and I could ever hope to have. Okay? They had vast portions of it completely memorized. Books of Scripture memorized. Yet when God, in the form of Jesus, showed up, they murdered Him. Right? So they had all the knowledge. They had it all. They had Scripture memorized. But as soon as God shows up in man form, they murder Him. I think that's about as clear of an example as it gets. If knowledge stays in your head and doesn't enter your heart, you're in deep trouble. So that's what's going on here. We've got to make a point. You exist for God. 
You do not exist for yourself, contrary to popular belief. (laughs) People are always, what can I get? How can I gain? How can I be bigger? How can I be better? How can I be richer? Me, 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 me. Okay? Contrary to that, you, you don't exist for you. Okay? I don't exist for me. I exist for God. Everything you do, everything you are, should be for God. Okay? Not for you. So the Corinthians totally lost track of this, spaced completely their identity. Although they had the freedom in Christ as being forgiven by God and set free from the rules of man, as far as this religion rules go, just because they had the freedom, it didn't make it right for them to just practice everything they could. Um, Their knowledge began to puff them up rather than build them up. So our theology, guys, what we think about God, what we know about God, that should humble us shouldn't puff us up, okay? Because the more we know about God, who do we see more about in turn? We see more about Jesus. The more we look at Jesus and study Jesus, who in turn do we learn more about? Ourselves, right? The more we study Jesus, the more we study his character, the more we see who he is, the more we see who we are and the need for him. And in Jesus' light, how in the world could we be puffed up? I mean, what are we going to say? God, I can stand up here before you because I'm awesome. <laughs> I dare you to say that. In Jesus' light, we're on our faces, every single one of us, okay? Our theology and knowledge of God should humble us, should never puff us up. Verse 2. Who wants to read it? Nice and loud, please. Is that all entirely verse 2? That's good. Read it one more time for me. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. If anyone thinks they know something, they don't. <laughs> That's basically what it says. You, if you imagine that you know something, if you think that you have wrapped your mind around something, Paul just said, you don't even know as much as you ought to. Okay? <laughs> He's saying here basically that you're nowhere near ever the level of knowledge that you ought to be. Even if you have that theology, master's, divinity, angelic, whatever degree that I said, even if you master that, you still need to know more. So don't be puffed up in saying that you've completely wrapped your mind around things, especially the things of God. Well, I understand entirely the freedoms that I've been given, so I can do what I want. Paul said, no, you, no, you can't. Um, you may understand, but you need to know more. Okay, for example, I just put Christ here. The more we know him, the more we become like him. We can never really, down here on earth, we can never really know God the way that we ought to. Heaven's going to be the answer for that. Okay, that's why Paul says we're to run a race, to finish, to keep, to endure, okay? We're supposed to always strive to know God. And when we get to heaven and we meet God, it's, it's worth it all. But we can never, no human being can ever say, I've reached the point where I know God as much as about God that can be known. I've, I've reached the peak and now I don't need to seek God anymore. Nobody can ever, ever, ever say that. Because Paul just said, as soon as you imagine that you know something, you don't know it as you ought to know it. All right? Um, we need to strive to know him a little while we're here on earth so that so that because we are not created for ourselves, we can most effectively live and give ourselves to Christ. 
Let's jump into verse 3. Somebody who hasn't read, we can get a little bit of different people going here. That's all of verse 3, right? Read it one more time, nice and loud. But the person who loves God, is that what it says? But the person who loves God is the person that God knows and cares for. How amazing is that? I can just see us, you know, reading in our devotions, coming through this chapter. But the person that loves God is the one that God knows and cares for. Next verse. Think about it, okay? The person that loves God is the person that, that God knows. Okay, when you begin to understand the gospel, okay, understand this story, you will not be amazed by what you know, okay? You'll be blown away by how much God knows you. That, when I, when I was studying this and he said that, um, it, it's just, when you begin to understand the gospel, I'm just going to read it again, you will not be amazed so much by what you know, but more by the fact that God knows you. Again, even in our search for God, we try to make it about ourselves. All right? It it just blows me away. Um, One theologian one time was asked, um, the most profound theological thought that he has ever had in his entire life. Obviously, you guys can imagine studying this basically floored me. Um, This theologian, somebody comes up and asks him, what is the most profound, deepest, meaningful, heart-punching thought that you have had in your entire life. His reply was this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Think about that, a song we grew up singing as kids. Okay, This theologian, this man who devotes his life to studying God, says the, the most influential thing is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Talk about convicting. I mean, we forget it. We forget it. So easy, I forget it. I get focused on so much crap going on in my life that suddenly this God that I claim to love and know the most takes a second seat to my drama or my sin or how I need to, you know, call somebody else out on their sin, right? Totally put our identities on side when we don't realize Jesus loves me. His word tells me so. In light of that, how can we not spend more time in his word, guys? Who plays Xbox for more than 30 minutes a day? Okay. Who does other things besides reading the Bible for more than 30 minutes a day? And I'm not talking about work, stuff like that. You guys know what I'm saying. How much time do we... And I, I am the biggest... I'm the guiltiest person in this room, I guarantee you, on lack of time that I should be in God's word. It, it makes me sick. really does. I would rather argue or fight with my wife <laughs> about something that's stupid rather than say, you know, hey, babe, why don't we do some devotions? I'm horrible, horrible example as somebody that's supposed to be leading a family. Horrible. But I know it, and I, I don't like it, and I want God to work on me, and uh, I, I really want to change in that area because if, it's, if it truly is the most important thing, then why am I not doing it? Um, So, when you begin to understand the gospel, you'll not be amazed by how much you know, but you'll be amazed by how much God knows you. Let's go verses 4 through 12. Since, uh, Audrey, your hand was up, I'll let you read this one. You get the most verses, so I'm a little biased because I kind of like her. So, she's going to get to read more verses than you guys. Thank you. 
one word, Jesus Christ, saves us all from the occasion of evil. However, <coughs> all per- possess this knowledge. But some perform their association with idols and see the word offered to an idol, and their conscience pleads to defile it. Let them not commend us to God. <coughs> we are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this bread of yours does not turn out the same stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If your conscience is weak, you eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge, this, and so by your knowledge, this is person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, sinning you, you sin against Christ. All right, I'm going to read it again. One, because it's a lot, and two, for sake of the recording. <clears throat> Therefore. Paul says, in light of what I just told you, as to the eating of food offered by idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Um, I think that is pretty (laughs) self-explanatory. Don't do something just because you have the right to do it, because it's not going to affect just you. Um, Paul says, not all possess this knowledge that we have. Not everybody knows the things that you know. Even if you're a brand new Christian, there there's a world full of people that don't know what you know. So just because you find out that you have a freedom in Christ, don't go just explore it because you don't know the gravity of the people watching you, okay? Um, don't do anything to stumble the weaker Christians. You may have the right to do something, but it doesn't give you the right to do that. Paul sets the example for them uh, in the next verse, verse 13. Somebody read that nice and loud. Boom. Okay, you think that Paul could have, like, made, gave maybe a lighter analogy than this? Okay, he should have said, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That, that seems a little extreme, don't you think? It's not. Do you guys think meat was a pretty popular food item back then? Try almost everything. Meat and vegetables, much as it is today. Paul says, look, I have the right to eat meat. I can eat whatever meat I want to eat. That actually rhymed. I can eat whatever meat I want to eat. Anyway, he has the right to do this stuff. Okay, But he says, if, if eating that meat, if eating a simple meal is going to make my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. I mean, that's... Can you imagine if we said that? 
the things that would be different, the things that we did that, that might could cause somebody to stumble, if we took a stand like Paul and said, you know what? Um, if that could cause him to stumble, I'm never doing it again. Kind of makes you think it's a big deal, huh? That Paul's not just kind of messing around, that chapter 8 just isn't this free time little expose to the church at Corinth. He's dead serious about it, okay? Um, another example in our, um, in our wor- world and culture right now, um, we can use alcohol, right? <laughs> the, Bible calls, the Bible actually calls alcohol a gift from God, okay? There's nothing wrong with alcohol. What's the rule? Rule. I hate saying rule because rule means religion. What does God say about alcohol? What's the, the stipulation? Don't get drunk. Okay, does he say alcohol is the elixir of Satan and you should never touch it and if you do, you're going to burn in hell? Does he ever say that? He says drink it, just don't get drunk. Okay, so would you say that we have the right to drink? Yeah. If you're of age, these young kids are like, yes, yes we do. <laughs> no, you don't. If you're of age, you do have a right to have a beer, right? Okay, here's the example. So, but, okay, you have a right. Does that mean you always should? Of course not. Let's say, for example, Alex, he's 21, okay? He walks into Maddie's down here. He just, man, he mowed the lawn today. He finally moved out of his parents' house. Okay, he wants a beer with his sandwich, Okay, but he goes in there and he sees, you know, maybe one of his friends from school who he knows struggles with it, right? Struggles with alcohol, maybe is a partier. Maybe who's even asked Alex to come out and drink with him before? Should Alex practice his God-given right to have a beer with his meal? What do you think? Is it wrong if he does have a beer with his meal? No. He has the right to, right? But should he? Why? Right. Why would he? If he's not created for himself, if his life isn't about himself, since he doesn't need that beer, why in the world would he see his friend over there and be like, I don't care if he sees me drinking. I want my beer, man. I moved down the street from my mom today. I'm tired. Okay, I want a beer. I'm going to have a beer if he wants. He can come talk to me and I'll tell him the Bible and how I have the right to drink. Why would he do that? He would never do that, right? Just because he has the right to doesn't mean he should. Now, please don't sit here and say, oh, yeah, community, Nate said that none of us should ever drink if there's other people in the restaurant. I never said that. Okay, you guys follow me. You see what I'm saying here? All right. You should be more concerned about offending or stumbling your brother than you are about practicing your rights. That's what it boils down to. So, in closing, it is possible to be correct in your theology, in your view of God, yet be completely wrong and sinful in your application and use of it. Um, just remember, guys, that you're not yours, no matter how much you think you are. I'm not for me. Okay, We're gods. We need to live like it. We need to love him. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for this time that we get just to come here and just to spend time in your word, Lord. Um, I thank you so much for seeing my brother-in-law here and how stoked I am, Lord, to, to see him. And just to see the usual crowd, Lord, it's so awesome that these people sacrifice and they come out in this little group and we just worship God and we spend time in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would richly bless everybody here. Um, 
Help us to leave this place more like you. Lord, we know we're never going to be perfect. But Lord, we want to just spend our whole lives um, trying to know you, trying to understand how much you know about us and how much you love us, Lord. Help us to be gospel-minded people, not selfish people. Um, God, again, for the prayer requests, Lord, you know better than we do. I ask that you would answer them. And God, take community, take this study, um, explode it if you want, Lord, if that's your will in this town. Help us to invite people to come here and hear about you. Um, But God, right now, help us just to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, as we close. Bless the food afterwards and the fellowship. In your son's name, amen.